So there are a few mysteries in the story of the wise men. Two of the biggest mysteries in the story of the wise men, I think, are first of all that star. I mean, today, that scholars still argue about this star. Was it a, a natural occurrence or a supernatural phenomenon, a miracle? Right? Bible, good Bible-believing scholars still argue about this. Or was it stationary? Was it in one place? And did the wise men go to it? Or did it move? Was it mobile? And it, and it led them, and, and it was kind of hovering over them and leading the way, like the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire in the Old Testament. That's a mystery. Here's, a, I think, a, an even bigger mystery in the story of the, of the wise men. Their nationality. Not so much that we don't know what it is. We're pretty sure that these men, or they were from the east, they were Persians. About 800 or 900 miles away from Jerusalem, and they traveled. That's not the mystery. The mystery is this. Why foreigners? I mean, Jesus was born to a Jewish family. God had been working through the Jewish nation to, to uh, have his son be born and have him proclaim the Savior of the world. It was all about this Jewish race. And then here come trotting in these Persians, outsiders. Why? It's a mystery, I think. But it's solvable. The God of the Bible is a mysterious God. We have to get used to the fact that there's going to be a mystery in our faith and that, that he wants us to live by faith and not by sight. Think of some of the, the doctrines, the deep teachings of the Bible that are mysterious to us, right? The teaching of the Trinity, that there's three persons but only one God, and the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but the Father isn't the Son, and the Son isn't the Spirit, and... And God is immortal and everlasting, and yet he was born and he died. And can someone explain to me again predestination? I, I just... Think of the mysteries of nature and of science. Mysteries that the best scientists and technology of our world can't, can't answer and probably never will. Open up your Bibles, uh, or your Bible app right now, to Romans chapter 11. I, wanna, I want you to see a verse there that talks about the mystery of our God. Um, go ahead, use your phones if you want. Find a Bible app on there. The Holy Word app is a really good one. There's other ones for your Bibles. As we're talking about this mysterious God, I think of the mysterious spirit world that is just beyond our observation and comprehension. And by that I mean demons and angels. These are real, non-imaginary, created beings who are unseen, and every day there is a host of angels fighting off a host of demons, perhaps a devil himself, battling for your soul. That's mysterious. It's beyond us. We have a mysterious God, Romans 11. Go to verses 33 and 34 there, right? He just, he doesn't fit between my ears. 
And that's good. The moment I have a God who fits in here, this is all the bigger He is. And I need a God out there to take care of what I can't take care of in here. You get that? And so Romans 11 says this is a good thing. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Nobody tells God what to do. And his ways are mysterious, that says. So, so today, we're going to look at a major mystery of God. Now, sometimes the Bible calls things of God a mystery because they're not known, they're not natural, and we cannot figure them out. Sometimes it's that they are not known and they're, they're not natural, but we can figure them out if we follow the clues. And so this is, this is the cool part about this mystery today, is that it's a, it's a mystery and we have clues and we're going to solve it. So uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, your apps. You can look in the worship folder. It's also projected. we got it everywhere here. And uh, this is what we're going to cover today in our sermon, Ephesians chapter 3. Look for the mystery and for the clues, and we're going to unpack those. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Well, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. That's the word of the Lord. A lot of stuff packed in there. So let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, before Paul gets to really what the mystery is or what its solution is, he gives us a few clues about it. So I'm going to give you three different clues that Paul gives to us before, he actually, before we actually solve the mystery, even know what it is. And those clues begin with this. There's an administration to the mystery. Right, so I'm looking at the earlier verses, verses 2 to 5 here, and the first clue is there is that the ministry has an administration. This is like the president putting his cabinet together, his administration. They're going to govern the country, okay? So that's the meaning of this, this New Testament word, administration. Um, nor other places it's translated stewardship. 
Okay, it means managing. It means um, a system or a strategy to be implemented. So this is saying that when it comes to this mystery, God has a a plan. He has a strategy for it. Paul describes that. If you look at verse 9, right, in your Bibles, in the text here, look at verse 9. Paul says, The administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Oh, this was a secret for a long time. It was hidden and only in God's mind. It says the angels didn't even know. Look at verse 10. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's angels. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that's angels. So, right here, the Bible is saying that the strategy of God about this mystery wasn't known even by the angels. It was kept secret from them for ages, for centuries, until God revealed it to the church. That's, all, that's you and all believers, including apostles and prophets. Then, when the angels saw this happening in the church, saw, saw God's manifold wisdom, his varied wisdom, all God acting in the lives of believers, angels would gasp, <gasps> Wow! Like Jesus says, the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. Very similar to that. The angels would, would respond. They would listen to and learn from you. God working in your life in his wisdom. And that clued them into what the mystery was and what the administration was. So that's part of the administration or the strategy of God's mystery. Um, this may not surprise some of you. I'm an administration guy. Oh, I love systems and strategies. I could sit in a conference room and synthesize flowcharts all day, and it would be fun. And I would just come home all pumped that we connected this with that and this with that. I, lo- I love that. Now, there's a dark side to that. The dark side to that is that I, I can make projects more important than people. So I can go a whole day snuggled up with my laptop doing church planning and not show personal love to a single soul, and that's dangerous. I have to be careful about that. There's someone who's better at administration than I am, probably a bunch of you, but the best administrator is God. This says it. He's, he's the perfect administrator. But he doesn't have the problem about missing out on people because the whole point, the very purpose and mission of his administration is to give grace to people. It's all about people. And so administration isn't the master, it's the servant to give grace to people. What's grace? Grace is, give me your catechism definition, grace is God's undeserved love. Oh, that's music to our ears, isn't it? I mean, you could live the rest of your life, starting today, praying perfectly, just the way that God wants you to pray, and you could keep 8.3 of the Ten Commandments perfectly the rest of your life, and it still would never be good enough to earn anything from God for him to bless you. It wouldn't be good enough. Never. So that word grace soothes our hearts. There's no fine print. There's no conditions. Four times in this section, 
The Apostle Paul uses the word give or gift with grace to remind us that it's not something we work for. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we have to uh, go through some approval process for. That's not what a gift is, right? Romans 4 says uh, when you work for something, it's wages. And the grace isn't wages. Grace isn't a paycheck. The whole point of a gift isn't that you deserve it. It's that the giver wants you to have it. There is really, we talk about this here at Holy Word Pflugerville, there's only one requirement for grace. Remember what it is? There's only one requirement for grace. And that's needing it. As being a sinner who is in a position to be blessed by grace. And so uh, Paul mentions that here um, in this verse, in verse 8. Um, look at verse 8. He says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. With grace, you can be the least, not the first. With grace, you can be lost. With grace, you can be last in line. And all the other good Christians are in front of you. With grace, you can be small. That's what, when God changed, Paul's name was previously Saul. He gave him the name Paul. The name Paul means little, insignificant, small. With grace, you can be weak. With grace, you can be wrong all the time. That's, that's grace. Uh, look at verse 7. Uh, right before verse 8, so verse 7, Paul says, This gift of God's grace was given me through the working of his, God's, power. Grace is free, but it isn't cheap. Right? It's free to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives it as a gift. But for that grace to be real, for that grace to offer what it does, well, it took a lot of work on God's part. It took sweat and tears and blood for God to be born, for, for God to live for nine months in Mary's womb in that squishiness and water and blood and be born and blood when he entered the world and blood when he left the world. That's God's power. So the saving work of Jesus is what makes grace what it is. And then even that work, when it's done, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, he still doesn't stop his saving work as he sends his spirit to constantly and powerfully battle demons on your behalf. Battle even the sin in you and the world around you so that you live in grace. That's God's power at work in grace. So those are our two clues so far about the mystery. There is an administration or a strategy, and it's all about grace. Here's clue number three. The mystery is revealed. It's right before we said it, it's, it was secret, it was hidden. Now it's revealed in God's time and God's way. If you look at verse three, in this section, right? Uh, Paul says that the mystery was made known to him by revelation. Right? It, was being, it was revealed to me. 
This is like a, ma a magician performing a trick. Right, so you're watching, right, the best of magicians, he's doing this card trick and you're watching it and you just, you gasp in amazement. He's like, wow, I've never seen that one before. How, how in the world did he do that? Wow. And then the best part, at least for us, right, who are watching the magician, magicians don't always do this, but I love it when they show you how they did the trick. Right, then, wow, I, I would have never guessed in a million years. That's what you did to do that trick. And that's, that's being revealed. That's something that's, we wouldn't have known. It wasn't natural. We couldn't figure it out on our own. But it was revealed, and we gasped in, oh, wow, that's, that's how it works. Now, revelation, something being revealed to us from God, is very humbling. Or it better be humbling, and here's why. If something is revealed to me, that means that I, within my little self, my own head and heart and world, I don't have that what I need. I don't get it. And it has to come to me from the outside, from God. And so when God says, this is something I revealed to you, it would be like, wow, thank you, God. This, uh, that was a big gap in my heart. It was a big need that I couldn't fill. It was a big misunderstanding. And you, God, came from the outside and you took care of it. So don't think for a second that in your own mind you can figure out everything that you need for a successful, sweet life. You cannot. And don't think for a second that you can look into your heart and in your heart find all of the love and peace and joy that you need for your life. You cannot. That's, God's, that's his message by saying, I gave it to you by revelation. That grace comes to us by revelation. It comes from the outside. All right, so those are our three clues. There's, the mystery is, has an administration or strategy. It's all about grace, and it's revealed to us from the outside. Do you know, do you have the mystery solved yet? I see no one standing up and hollering, so I'm going to give you a few more clues. I'm going to tell you three stories that, that tell us about this mystery in action, all right? And, uh, and hopefully those will help. Story number one. On Christmas Day, because it was a Sunday when another Christmas service is going on and we're a multi-site multi and some other reasons, we had Christmas Day services at our Holy Word Austin site. Here at Pflugerville, we decided to go Christmas Day caroling. So instead of staying within the walls of our church, we said, let's go out there. And so we went, a group of us went Christmas Day caroling. We went and caroled to uh, people's homes who need Jesus. We went and caroled to the, the Kelly Lane Fire Station as a thank you to firefighters who are working on Sunday. And we went to the Pflugerville Nursing Home and Care Center, and we caroled to the residents there. And then we made sure, before and after we sang, we went and we greeted each of them personally, and, and all, they just kept coming as we were singing, and kept coming, and kept coming. And then we greeted them afterwards, and uh, I shook the hand of one old stubborn German lady. I, I held her hand, and I said, Merry Christmas, Jesus loves you. She barks back at me, No, he doesn't! Well... All right, so that's a clue about what this mystery is. Clue number two. Mother Teresa was invited to a church in Baltimore, Maryland once. 
And the church officials and the diocese officials, uh, you know, just with pomp and circumstance, like Roman Catholics are good at, right? They, they created this big triumphal procession, and they, uh, they started outside the cathedral, and all the, all the church leaders were there with their hats and, and their staves and the big cross and the incense, and they just made this big, long parade with Mother Teresa, this diminutive, short, little, big lady in a small lady's body, right? And, uh, and so the procession started, and it, it entered the narthex, the, the church entry area, and then it took a turn up the center aisle, and about halfway up the center aisle, church officials stopped their procession. All the people, all the congregation were on their tiptoes, craning their necks, looking for Mother Teresa, nowhere to be found. They had lost Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, as they were going through the narthex, didn't turn up the center aisle to go into the church she took a right and went outside the church doors and decided that she needed to minister to the people who didn't have a ticket to be in the church that day for the event. Some of them were homeless panhandlers who figured they'd show up and work the crowd. That's clue number two. Here's clue number three. Just about a little more than 20 years ago, so youngsters, maybe you don't, these seminary students may not even know this name. Do you know the name Susan Smith? Okay. Uh, I, I was pastor of a church in South Carolina at the time. I, I had just graduated from the seminary a couple years earlier. And Susan Smith in South Carolina was a mother of two little boys. They were like three and five years old. She put them in her car released the handbrake, locked the doors, and let her car roll into a river where her two little sons were drowned. She's been in prison ever since. Would any of you moms ever think about doing that? Would, would you have appreciated your parents doing That's a terrible person. All right, so now here's clue number three. Here is a... This is an article that I read about Susan Smith and this, uh, this writer. She's a, she's a woman, maybe even a mom, says this. The mystery of God's love, as I understand it, is that God loves the man being mean to his dog just as much as God loves babies. God loves Susan Smith, who drowned her two sons, as much as he loves Desmond Tutu. And he loved her just as much when she was releasing the handbrake of her car that sent her boys plunging into the river as he did when she first nursed them without that thought. So, of course, he loves old ordinary me, even or especially at my most scared and petty and mean and obsessive moments. Clue number three. Are you getting the picture? Here's the answer. Verse six. Here it is. The solution is right here. God gives it to Paul and he writes, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. God's strategy for centuries had been to focus on the Jewish nation. 
Ever since he gave that promise to Abraham, that through Abraham all nations of the earth would be blessed, and, through a- and one of Abraham's descendants would be the Savior, God was focusing on the Jewish nation. God pummeled other nations. Assyria, Egypt. Oh, he sent plagues and he harassed their kings. Well, he kind of did that once in a while to Israel too. So his point wasn't so much nationality or heritage or blood. His point was, I want you to follow me in faith. There were moments where God even reached out to the non-Jewish Gentile world, even in the Old Testament. He sent Jonah, one of his prophets, to Nineveh. And he, he made Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, part of Jesus' family line. Jesus was not born a purebred Jew. He was a mutt. So now this is part of God's strategy, now revealing, listen, I love Jews and I love Gentiles. I love insiders and I love, love outsiders. And there may be a few ethnic Jews in this group today, or maybe none. But for the most part, you and I were not insiders, are not insiders in the Jewish race. But God's grace brought us in, like it brought the wise men to be close to Jesus. Get your Bibles out again and look in um, Romans chapter 3. Okay, um, I want you to look at a verse there because it's, it's very important what grace, what grace does here. And, and Jew and Gentile alike, there's no difference so this is important for us because I tend to think, and from my filter in my world, that God's favorite people are church people who are Lutheran. And they're pastors, better yet. Right? We think God's favorite people are like us, like me. And the news is, when it comes to God's grace... Whether it's those of us sitting here slugging out a sermon in church this morning and, and getting all cold in cars that find it hard to start, or whether it's those who are sleeping in and not in church here and not even interested, maybe you refused your invitation. When it comes to grace, we're the same. Both groups are as valued and special to God. And when it comes to sin, there is no difference between you and the terrorist that you hate, the Susan Smith that you turn your nose up at, the politician that you curse, or the ex who makes your life miserable. So Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. I'm going to need your help here. right? There is no Difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have, say it, sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. No difference. Well, God loves all people. Well, that, that's no mystery. What's so mysterious about that? 
That is a mystery. It's a mystery to practice. Because there's people out there who don't know that God loves them. There there are people out there who need to hear the gospel. And this grace that Paul has been talking about is part of God's strategy. There's unbelievers out there. There's unbelievers who don't know the joy and peace that you know because they don't believe it. They don't know the forgiveness of their sins and their shame and their guilt that's all gone and their hands are clean. It's true. God did it, but they don't, they don't believe it. And you do. There's unbelievers out there who live in your neighborhoods and will buy homes across the street from our church that don't know and believe the grace and the gospel that, that saved them, but they just they don't have it because they don't know it. They don't, they don't believe it. So the mystery is, why not? Why haven't we helped them? That's a mystery. We're, you know, in general, we're not, as people, we're not too thrilled with mysteries. You might like, you know, you might be intrigued by a good mystery novel or a crime TV show, but when it comes to mysteries in our own personal lives, um, I, I love playing 20 questions as long as I'm the one in charge and I don't have to come up with all the questions, right? So sometimes I'll think of this grandiose idea that, uh, and my wife will be home, Kara, and I'll say, hey, Kara, let's play 20 questions, guess this. And her response is always a groan. Ah, oh, just tell me already. Or like when you're doing a crossword puzzle and you, you just, you can't solve it and you get, you just, you just have to look at the, the back page where the solution is so you can fill out the cross. We just, we don't like this mystery. Children don't like, you know, children, why is it dark, mom? Why does garbage smell? Why, why, why? See, as humans, we have to know. Oh, and we know. That's our downfall sometimes. We know what we believe and that we have Jesus in our lives and his joy and peace. We know that that's good enough for us and well, it might not be for others, but at least we're in. We know that if we make plans to invite friends, if we try to set up a time where I can share Jesus with someone and and we know that those plans don't always work and we could look like a fool or feel like an idiot or be declined in some way. And we know that our plans to do that may not always work and so we just don't plan on that. Well, we know. We know that we're busy. We know we're supposed to be busy. Everybody's busy. You're supposed to be busy. We, we're busy. And we're too busy for people who are dying without Jesus and going to hell. And we know it. I 
I want to read a uh, section of our devotional book that we're using for our daily Bible reading plan here at Holy Word Pflugerville. I hope those of you who aren't in it will join. But this is really good, and this talks about mystery and knowing. Human beings have a deep desire to know and understand. We spend much of our daily time trying to figure things out, but sin makes this drive dangerous. It's the, if only I could understand this or that, then I'd be secure way of living. But it never works. In your most brilliant moment, you will still be left with mystery in your life. Sometimes even painful mystery. So rest is never found in the quest to understand it all. No, rest is found in trusting the one who understands it all. In moments when you wish you knew what you can't know, there is rest to be found. There is one who knows. He loves you and rules what you don't understand with your good in mind. You see, there is no mystery with God. He is never caught off guard. He never wonders how he's going to deal with this unexpected thing. Your mysteries aren't mysterious to him. He holds both you and your mysteries in his gracious hands. There are going to be mysteries in your life that you can't solve. But God has them covered. That's grace and good news. And this greatest mystery about outsiders coming in and being included in His grace, that's the greatest mystery of God and it has been solved. In you, because you're in, and through you, because God wants you sharing with others. Um, Let's wrap it up here. Look at verses 7 and 8 of this section. Uh, Paul writes this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. That servant mindset. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Three things there. Paul says he's a servant of the gospel. You know, Jesus captured Paul when he knocked him off his horse. He captured his heart. He spent time in the desert together. And then Paul was imprisoned, even in writing this letter. But Paul never tired of being captured by Jesus. And when you never tire of being captured by his grace and having an appreciation for it that consumes you and consumes your life, then you never tire of being a servant of the gospel either. Not a slave, a servant, a a privileged position by the grace of God. Secondly, um, Paul writes, he uses this phrase earlier, and it's pretty close here too, given to me for you. Here he says, given to me to preach. God doesn't give you this the solution to the mystery. He doesn't give you this grace to keep, but to share. And there's enough of it. Paul writes that the boundless riches of Christ, 
But it means there's no end to what God in his grace can do for you as he fills your life with his goodness. There's no end to it. There's no end to him helping with your mysteries in life that you don't know and can't explain and don't control. There's no end. And there's no end to your life which will be in eternity with him and all other believers. There's no end. That's the greatest mystery. How do outsiders get in? How do, how do meal participants with dirty hands sit at a meal with Jesus? How are you a recipient of God's grace? What a mystery! And that mystery has been solved in you and through you to others. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for these words. There's a lot of deep stuff in here. Paul writes, we, there's still some mysterious things in there that we don't understand, but, but we do understand and believe this, that you make promises here of the riches of your grace in Jesus Christ. We see it historically in the scriptures that you came, you were born, you lived, you died, you rose again to save us. Thank you for changing us from being outsiders to being insiders. Keep us from the danger of being insiders, the danger of complacency, of building our own comfort zone and, uh, and building our walls and taking care of ourselves because we're in like a country club because you don't want to work just in us but through us. Lord, these people here today have been filled with your grace once again. Send them forth. Send them forth with a newfound joy and a newfound peace, with new passion for sharing your gospel with others and give them opportunities to do that. And when you do, by the working of your powerful grace, help them to step up and to speak up and for other outsiders to come in too. Amen.